and welcome to the Bible Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, and I'm here to help you understand what you just read in the Bible. Hello, everyone. I'm so glad you're on this journey with me. If you are new, welcome to this journey. If you have any questions on how the podcast is laid out, you can listen to my introduction episode, and everyone is welcome to go to my website, bmepodcast.com, to drop me a note, ask any question, or just get up to date on the podcast with the resources I have there, including links to all of my pop culture references. We are in week 28 of your reading, which is Isaiah chapters 1 through 12, all of Amos, 2 Chronicles chapters 27 through 28, 2 Kings chapters 16 and 17, and the whole book of Micah. Our timeline for this is 739 BC to a 711 BC. So starting in Isaiah chapter 1, we find that Isaiah's visions were seen during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah. The reign of those four men were from 783 BC to 686 BC, which is roughly 97 years. Isaiah was written from 739 BC to 711, which is only 28 years, but that's because he started writing at the very end of Uzziah's reign and to the very beginning of Hezekiah's reign. We go in further detail to find out why God has even come to Isaiah, and that is to give out his message. God calls Judah out for doing the exact opposite of what he told them to do, and in fact, they were doing it willingly and longingly. He explains that even their sacrifices mean nothing to him because they aren't doing it for him. They are doing it as a ritual that means absolutely nothing to him or them. He condemns this beautiful, wonderful city because it has turned itself into a prostitute for God's enemies. God tells them that they need to turn back to him. If they will repent and return, he will restore them. However, they don't want to. Even though they are hurting from their brains to their hearts, they still don't want to. However, God is going to restore his city and those in it would come back to him. But we have a long way to go before that gets there. So not only would the Israelites return willingly and longingly, but they would want to go back to the temple to learn what God wanted for them. However, (laughs) until that time, we have to deal with the very sinful and rebellious Israelites. And God plans on letting them be captured, that they will answer for what they have done and they will be humbled and brought low which is what chapter three focuses on. Uh, People will be stripped of any and all of their wealth. Women will lose their hair, all their jewelry, their purses, and their really, really nice clothes. And make no mistake, this stuff was as fine as what we have, if not better in some cases. Men will fall by the sword and the military men will die in battle. The righteous will escape this torment, but everyone else is doomed to it for their own decisions. Ooh. And once again, (laughs) us single women will be single, as there will be seven women for every one man. However, the righteous will enjoy the fruits of the land, the city will be washed from all the impurities, and the righteous will get to live there. On in chapter 5, we read from God's perspective of Israel slash us with the analogy of a vineyard. He loves us. He does everything for us, made sure we had the best soil, that we were incredibly fertile, that we had the best grapes. And yet the only thing he receives in return for all of his troubles were horrible crops with bad fruit. And he asks why. (laughs) And I want to reiterate that there is not a question God doesn't know the answer to. When he asks us a question, it is because it's a question we need to ask ourselves. Like, why? Well, why we be doing this? However, were the results, <laughs> yeah. God received 
he is now going to take away the hedge, break down the walls, and make it a wasteland. Yikes. When I read that, I'm like, abort mission, abort mission. But I also have the gift of hindsight and the Holy Spirit, so can't really judge them too much. Furthermore, if you have associated yourself with this vineyard, you too will be punished. So you may just be looking at them, but if you're allowing it and not doing anything, any and all evils will be punished. <laughs> then we get to see the vision that Isaiah saw. He got to see the Lord sitting on his throne, high and exalted, the seraphim crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And if you're anything like me, you just heard the hymnal, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And that's where I stopped because I forget the lyrics. Anyway, I think most of us might react the same way that Isaiah did when he sees God as he cries out he's not worthy and is fearful of being in the presence of the Lord as a sinner. Because remember, God can't look on sin. And if we were to see God as humans, we will die from that. So I think we'd all kind of have the same reaction as Isaiah. Then a seraphim, which is an angel, took a live coal and touched Isaiah's mouth and told him that his guilt was taken away and his sins were atoned for. And then, as I hope I would react, God asks, who is going to send? And Isaiah says, send me, send me, which, by the way, is not a pick me, pick me. OK, he wasn't a pick me boy. He was willing to do the Lord's work. Remember that. And then God tells Isaiah what to say. And I'm not going to lie. I think it would be a new verse of the sound of silence. You know the song? In the naked light I saw 10,000 people, maybe more. People talking without speaking. People hearing without listening. Because God states, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And the people bowed and prayed to the neon God they made. Just saying. I think it'd fit in there. You tell me. And Isaiah asks for how long is this going to go on? And the Lord replies until the cities are ruined and it becomes like Mad Max. Okay, he might not have referenced the movie, but that's what the description reminded me of. So in chapter 7, God has Isaiah and his son go to the king of Judah, Ahaz, to tell him that it doesn't matter what it looks like with Pekah, the king of Israel, and the king of Aram. Yes, it looks bad. Yes, they are bent on your destruction. But the Lord has Isaiah say, be careful. Keep calm and do not be afraid. Do not lose heart. Your destruction will not take place. It will not happen. But if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And the Lord literally tells Ahaz to ask for a sign. And it doesn't matter if it is from the deepest depths or the highest heights. Pick a sign. And Ahaz says, no, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. And Isaiah's like, dude, I know you test the patience of people, but perhaps, and this is just a thought here, don't test God's patience. But the Lord said, I will give you the sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The son will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. However, before he is that age, these two nations you are worried about will be laid waste and the Lord will use Assyria to come and make you miserable and the land will be covered with briars and thorns, even those lands you had cultivated or used for hunting. Lovely. 
as the chapter eight in Isaiah says, the title shows that God has Isaiah have sons and they are the representative of things to come. A theme we've seen often. God has Isaiah conceive with the prophetess and she gives him a son that the Lord directs to be named Mar Salal Hashbaz. Hope I said that right. The Lord also says that before the boy can say my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. Woohoo! Isaiah goes into what God is saying about the nations that have turned their backs on God and now is reckoning of those decisions. And in turn, God tells Isaiah why he should not follow in that way and why Isaiah should follow God. He also says you should not be consulting spiritists and mediums for your future. If you want to know, you need to consult your God. Because why would you consult the dead for the problems of the living? Just a thought, just a thought. Isaiah 9 shows how God is going to honor Galilee of the nations, and I'm sure verses 6 to 7 are a bit familiar, either by Handel's Messiah or the fulfillment that Christ was of these verses. Kelly, side note, the Isaiah scroll has been documented to show that it was written 700 years before Jesus. Wild. In the reference of Galilee, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and he will reign on David's throne. I will admit that I once had to sing Handel's Messiah as a senior in high school, I think. The vocal work. Anyway, as an alto too, in case you wondered. All of this makes it very understandable to me why the disciples and the Jews of the day would be thinking Jesus was supposed to be a political leader certainly reads that way to me so I don't blame him on that front because I could totally see it but the fact that Jesus you know fulfilled all these other things that Isaiah talks about should have told them that he was the Christ anyway despite all of these good things Israel would still not follow God and God will let his anger go against them and they will reap their consequences for not following God still happens today in Isaiah 10 we see that God uses Assyria's wicked actions for his own purpose but he is still going to punish Assyria for what they have done. It absolutely will not go unpunished. Furthermore, even though God is upset with Israel and their disobedience, he will leave a remnant of them. He will never, ever fully wipe out his people or have his people wiped out. In Isaiah 11 and 12, the beautiful prophecy of Christ, we get another reference that he will come from David as Jesse was David's father. He will not judge how we do by what we see and hear, but by the righteousness. We get to see how it will be when the Lord fills the earth and we follow him. You know, the lion will live with the lamb. That is not a Twilight reference. God said it first. Okay, just want to point that out. And how much we will praise and proclaim God's name when we are with him and he is known throughout the world. You know, legitly a beautiful promise. So that's where we end Isaiah. And then we go into Amos. Amos starts two years before the earthquake during Uzziah's reign. God then shows what has upset him in each area and the punish they will endure. And I laugh because, uh, dang. So first up, Damascus. You, you threshed Gilead with sledges of iron teeth. Basically, you mowed them down. Damascus, you will receive fire and the fortress will be consumed. The gates will be broken down, making them vulnerable to any and all foes. And your rulers will be destroyed and your people will go into exile. Hmm. Gaza, you ain't looking any better because you took captive whole communities. 
and sold the people. You too will receive fire and the fortress consumed. However, your people, the Philistines, will be dead. Every last one. Tyre, you copied Gaza, and like Gaza, you will receive fire in a burned fortress. Edom, <laughs> buddy, you killed your brother, Judah, and slaughtered the women, so God is sending fire and consuming everything of yours. And Amon, whew, ugh, literally disgusting, as he ripped open the pregnant women to extend his borders. Ugh. The walls, fortress, and cities of Amon will be burned. There will also be violent winds on a stormy day. I'm thinking tornado. And good thing this wasn't in the south, as that would not be much of a turn down here. We like to watch tornadoes from our porch. I'm sure you've seen some videos. Uh, Moab, Edom went after Judah. And Moab, you ran over Edom. <laughs> like, they might have gone after Judah, but dude, you ran them over. And so, as you guessed, they get fire, the fortress obliterated, and on top of all that, the rulers and officials will be killed. I'm sure there were people not so upset about that one. And then Judah. Oh, Judah. They rejected the law of the Lord, did not keep his decrees, and allowed themselves to be led astray by false gods. Fire and Jerusalem will take the physical punishment for it. But the worst offender was saved for last, and that is Israel. They sold the innocent for silver, the needy for a pair of sandals. They trampled the poor as dust on the ground and denied them justice. Father and son used the same girl, Blech. profaned the holy name. In the house of God, they drink wine. In the house of God, and you drinking? I mean, even heathens know not to do that. And commanded the prophets not to prophesy. Like, literally, your entire job, the one thing God tells you to do, and Israel tells you, you can't do it. The swift will not escape, the strong will not muster their strength, and the warrior will not be saved. Even the bravest of soldiers will flee naked on that day. Ugh. So we get to Amos 3 through 6 as the Lord continues to lay his case against Israel. He chose them alone, and because of their unfaithfulness and outright rebellion against his ways, they will be punished. They will be utterly destroyed and taken away by another nation. Only the Israelites in Samaria will be saved. As God continues to tell Israel all of their sins, my heart just sinks because how many of these things are we guilty of? And not just as individuals, but a nation. And the part that sums it up best for me as to the fate of Israel and ourselves, if we keep going that way, is in Amos 5.19. It will be as though a man fled a lion only to meet a bear. My luck already runs that way, so if we can keep that from happening, that would be great. And to all of us who have been silent or complacent, which I know I have been in that category at times and far more than I want to acknowledge, we will not come out unscathed either. We will be punished. So in Amos 7, uh, God shows Amos some of the calamities that he's going to bring on Israel. And Amos cries out because how could they survive such wrath? And God relented on those plans and then shows Amos a plumb line, uh, which for those not familiar is a mark or line that is drawn to precise measurements. It's where they use the rulers with the liquid in them to make sure that an item is level. It is standard. And that is the line in which everything will be measured by. So it is perfection. And in this case, Israel was shown lacking. <laughs> I know you're shocked after everything we just heard. You're shocked. I know. It's going to be okay. And God tells Amos that he would come for Israel with the sword. And we know the verse, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us? But if God is against us, 
There ain't nobody who's going to be able to be for us. And of course, the tattletale priest Amaziah tells Jeroboam what God has told Amos, and Amos, in turn, told everybody else. And Amaziah, who was supposed to be a man of God, told Amos to leave and get out of there. But before Amos departs, he lays Amaziah's future at his feet as well. Amaziah's wife will become a prostitute. His sons and daughters will fall by the sword. His lands will be divided up. And Amaziah will die in a pagan country. And what he prophesied from God will come to pass. In chapters 8 and 9, we see that the time has come for God to destroy Israel and watch as everything God said would happen comes to pass. However, he does leave Israel with a hope that they will be back to their land and never again to be uprooted. Then we go to the book of Micah, uh, chapters 1 through 7, which is a lot of what we read back in Amos. The book of Micah is focusing more on the remnant of Israel, those who are left, which is Judah. He even speaks in Micah 4.10 how they will be taken by Babylon, but God will redeem her. And Micah 5 is not only foreshadowing what will happen to Israel in that day, but also the future of Israel. It foreshadows about Jesus and how God will save Israel. But until that final day, the bulk of Israel will be scattered and grown in with the Assyrians. Not only will Israel be redeemed, but she will rise above her enemies and will praise and worship the Lord her God. Of course, until that happens, it won't be pretty at all. So then we go back into our history book of Second Chronicles, chapter 27. No need to drink um, here because we meet Jotham, who did right in the eyes of the Lord, rebuilt parts of the temple, defeated the Ammonites who turned around and paid him in coin and food, and he was able to do this as he walked with God. He was only 41 when he died. Second uh, Chronicles 28 uh, goes with Second Kings 16, and we meet Ahaz. And kids, drink up because Ahaz did evil. Ugh. Did he do evil in the eyes of the Lord? And boy, did he have a time of it too. The Arameans defeated him, took quite a few prisoners to Damascus. Israel got to him. And in fact, King Pekah killed 120,000 men that were from Judah, including the king's son, the officer in charge of the palace and his second in command. So no, you get no one. And on top of that, they took 2,000 wives, sons and daughters, and a crap ton of plunder. However, before they could get to Samaria, a prophet named Oded stopped them, said, yeah, God gave them into your hands, but you abused that, and now you have to turn back around and give everything back as you are just as guilty in your sins as Judah is. And that's actually what they end up doing. Ahaz asked Assyria for help since the Edomites and the Philistines had attacked, taking away people and land, but Assyria didn't help and in fact made things even worse, and Ahaz helped with that as well, as he took things from the Lord to see if that would bribe Assyria. It didn't. <sighs> people, people, people. And as things got even worse, did Ahaz turn to God? No, no, no. He went running in the other direction. He sacrificed other gods. He took more things from the Lord's temple, and then he shut the temple down, because that sounds like a good idea. He made high places for Judah to worship Ahaz. If I, could, if I could just talk to Ahaz here for a minute. None of this is a good thing. And you should know the past to know that this will not turn out well for you or anybody else. But not only did he shut down the temple, but downright destroyed it. <laughs> and had Uriah be so heretical and wrong that I'm really surprised I didn't feel the heat of hellfire and brimstone. Because that's what I would be expecting at that point. But alas, he does die and his son Hezekiah takes over. In 2 Kings 17, you need to drink yet again, or take a drink, however you're feeling at this moment, as we meet Hosea, the king of Israel. He only reigns nine years, 
all of it evil. But at this point, that's not really new. Now, is it? <sighs> Hosea, Hosea, Hosea. Not only was he against God, but even his own best interests <laughs> as he betrayed the king of Assyria with the king of Egypt. You know, follow the money type stuff. But Assyria found out and Hosea and his land was laid sieged. Then Hosea went to prison and Assyria captured Samaria. And this is the exile of Israel, the ten tribes. Judah is still Judah at this moment because Judah, as we know, will be taken separately and they'll be taken by Babylon. But that time hasn't come yet. Now, Assyria does take other nations and settles them in Samaria with the Israelites. You know, assimilate and change your allegiance, which can be a good thing. Other times, such as this, not so much. However, the other nations, people didn't want to serve the Lord as he commanded, so God sent them lions. And the king of Assyria was told this. <laughs> Alarmed by the news, he had a priest of God come in and make sure that the laws and commands that God had written down were followed. Because absolutely no one wants to be eaten by a lion. Not one. Unfortunately, not even the lions changed the hearts. Which surprises me. I pray if we as followers of Jesus ever get to the lion stage that we will turn, turn away and run back to Jesus. I can only hope our brains kick in at that point. And so that's where we leave off this week. The fact that lions couldn't even change their hearts. So you can see they're pretty calloused and hard at this point. And they are so in bed with what they're doing that they're not coming back out of it. Which is a really sad thought. Anywho, if you have any reactions, thoughts, questions, or words you need to throw my way, please do so at my website, bmepodcast.com. Have a most fabulous week, and I'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.